When I was working as a brand ambassador for you know, all of these major brands, you do feel a sense of like, oh, I can't, I don't, I can't let people know who I am because I'm scared they're going to judge me or I'm going to be scared that they're not going to book Gina the lesbian for that job. You know, it'll, it would change that title. You know, I identify as Regina Lynn. And so I didn't want that label to be associated with anything I was doing professionally because I was scared that it would be closing doors. So I hid it for a very long time. And I worked for 10 years, I guess, really going to work. And I was just a completely different person. In 2017, I had it all, but it was a world built on a secret that I didn't want to deal with and could no longer contain. And that's when it all came crashing down. You can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is Falling Out. Welcome to this episode of Falling Out. I am your host, Brian Kennedy. Joining me across the mic is my fabulous co-host, Coleman Charles. Today on the show, we are touching on professionalism and how do you navigate it in the LGBT community. Politicians and pundits alike are telling us that we should keep it to ourselves. We shouldn't bring it into the workplace. The Florida Don't Say Gay bill is gone into effect at this point, and it is affecting teachers across the state who aren't allowed to have pictures of their partners or husbands or wives on their desk. They can't wear rainbow-colored anything. And it's really impacting our identity. How are we supposed to navigate it? If this is who I am, what do you want me to do about it? It's not okay for me to hide it. And so I, it's really weird, I think, a lot. You know, people, you get that response when you come out is like, even with people who think they're allies and say, it's okay for you to be gay, just don't flaunt it. What does that even mean? Well, today we've got a fabulous guest who's going to join us to talk about that, to learn a little bit about her story and her journey into her professional world and how not only did she have to come out personally, she had to come out professionally. Regina Lynn joined the Black Tie Dinner Board in December of 2019, first serving on the Community Relations Committee. She has chaired the committee in 2021 and is now the junior co-chair of Black Tie Dinner. In addition to her volunteer role with Black Tie Dinner, Regina works full-time in sports entertainment, having cut her teeth in minor league baseball as an on-field host, eventually becoming the VP of Game Entertainment and is currently the Director of Strategic Accounts for Versus Systems. She is also a brand ambassador, freelance producer, on-camera talent. Regina hosted the Writer's Insider on FSSW, Fox Sports Southwest, and has been on the Dallas Cowboys production team for 10 years. She is the in-house show producer for the brand new Major League Rugby team here in Dallas, known as the Dallas Jackals, and is the senior correspondent for the Dallas Voice. Regina is joining us today with a very unique perspective and story. Please welcome to the show, Regina Lynn. Regina, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Gina, I can call you Gina. We're friends. You yes. go by Gina, right? Yes. So we just want to start off talking about you. Today's all about you. Yay. So we want to, we want to get into your story. You know, you have a fascinating career. You're working as a, as a junior coach here with Black Tie Dinner or volunteering in that position. Yes, yes. volunteering. Let's be really specific about that. But this is, this is the you that I know. What I don't know is everything that came before. So I want to kind of get into, like, who are you and what brought you to, to this fabulousness that sits before me? Oh, my goodness. Well, fabulousness and all about me today. I'm a Leo. So, hey, let's do this. 
Well, thank you. Again, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I think maybe just kind of start out with the fact that I'm not from the Dallas area, but I did move here in 2003 with my partner, who I had been with for, I think, seven years at the time. Every time I do the math, it seems to, like, come out with different years, so then I have to, like, <laughs> check myself on my math. But, um, yeah, and we've lived here since 2003, and then when I moved here, kind of changed career paths and uh, took off from there. And now I call Dallas home. And, uh, yes, I have a wonderful career and a wonderful partner, and I have a lot going on. And I want to get into all of it. But let's talk about where you came from. Who was Baby Gina? Baby Gina. Oh, God. Baby Gina. It's so funny because I'm one of those people that when I think back about my childhood, there's a lot that I don't remember. Like if people are like, do you remember this? And I'm like, no, no. But I do remember very, very specific times. I was an outgoing kid. I was kind of the... I don't know, royalty in my family, so to speak. And my sisters, if they listen to this, they're going to be like, yeah, of course she had to go there. But I was guess I, I fell into a category that I guess all parents kind of see their children being. You know, I went to school. I was a good student. I was a good kid. I listened to my parents. Um, I was partially too afraid of them to do things that were wrong because I, you know, be grounded and in trouble and I never wanted to be. Um, I was a gymnast. I played tennis, I ran track, uh, I did theater, so I was kind of like I am now, except I was baby G, now I'm big G. <laughs> Only at 5'2", so I'm not that big. <laughs> Where did you grow up? I grew up in Katy, Texas. Has it always been Texas, or yeah. were you anywhere else? Born and raised, I see, and now I'm going to start talking like I'm from the South, because sure. I am, Go but ahead. I actually, <laughs> I don't talk like that quite, you know, so anymore. I try to have a more neutral dialect, but no, I'm, I was... Born and raised in Katy, Texas. Lived there, obviously, until you know, I graduated high school. And then I was in Houston for quite some time. And um, then I moved to Dallas. So Yeah. What, what brought you here? Because, well, for our listeners who don't know, there tends to be this kind of Houston versus Dallas yeah, thing. Exactly so so it's that. like, clearly yeah. Dallas won in this I, one. Right. Come on, no. There is. And it's really funny because when I'm out and about and I tell somebody I'm from Houston, depending on where they're like their reaction tells me where they're from because they immediately have this like scowl on their face just like hating Houston you know but then if it's somebody that's not from Dallas then they talk about where they're from and then immediately the conversations about what Dallas is like compared to all the other cities that people come from is just the, the so I've given myself away. Is I've given myself away as being yeah. from Dallas. Geez, where are you from, Brian? I would yeah. never know. Yeah, it's it's complicated. <laughs> but yeah, so so what gets you here though? What what makes you say, you know what, that's that's the dream city, or that's where I'm gonna land? I moved here. This is gonna sound horrible. But I moved here with my partner, but not until like three or four months later. So she got a job here. We were at kind of at a point in our relationship what was like, you know, kind of seven years in. And are we going to do this? Or do we have the seven-year itch? Like, am I willing to pick up and move my life from Houston, where I have family, to Dallas, where I also have some family. So it wasn't like I was going to be all alone or anything. But, you know, we spent some, some time and we thought about it and talked about it and thought about it some more and talked about it some more. And I said, okay, you know what, let's do this. But when I did that, I was very, very intentional. I was in no way going to pick up my life, move to Dallas, and it just be for my relationship. I, I really had to make it about me as well. 
And so that is really when I left the oil and gas industry and I came here and I started performing again and really just found my stride. And I've just been running since. <laughs> because that's all there is in Houston, right? Oil and gas. I mean, I, I don't know if there's other industries. Humidity. Yeah. Humidity, Humidity. If that was an industry. Yeah, girl didn't straighten her hair at all in Houston. <laughs> she let those natural curls go every day because there was no way I was sitting under a blow dryer for 45 minutes just for it to curl the second I went outside. <laughs> Let's back up a little bit because, you know, you identify as a lesbian, correct? Yes. Okay, I mean, I, correct I me had, if I'm wrong. No, I, the let, let me let me request that. Like, how do you identify? So I identify as Regina Lynn. <laughs> I am not into labels, and that you know that will come out a little bit more. I'm sure as we sure. have more discussions about my career and where I've been and what I've done. But I just you know I don't walk up to people and go, "Hi, I'm Regina Lynn. I'm a lesbian." Right. You know, I'm Regina Lynn. Yes, yeah. I am a lesbian. Yes, I have my partner that I've been with for way too long. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. But um. Yeah, so I, I don't identify as a lesbian. Now, if you ask me within the LGBT community, yes, I'm a lesbian. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because it's something that I've noticed, especially in a younger generation. When we're talking about Gen Z kids, especially young Hollywood, because there's there's several that I follow. Joshua Cauley, who was uh, played a, a gay character in the recent Netflix movie Senior Year. I saw him in an interview, and it was funny because they were interviewing Joshua Bennett, who was obviously in Mean Girls, and some other people in like a Gen X kind of organization. And when they asked, they were immediately like, yeah, I, I'm gay. And they got to Joshua, who's 21, and he's like, I don't really like labels. And, I, and, and I've read a lot of articles, because you know me, because of representation, I'll sometimes, like, I'm watching a movie or a TV show, and I'm like, oh, is that person gay? Because it will make me feel so much better if they are. All of a sudden, like, in that particular generation, there is kind of a push more of I don't label. I am who I am. And, and so sometimes I wonder, and I don't mean to get off on a whole other concept here, but sometimes I wonder, you know, has that labeling for people in the LGBT community been a safety thing, been a way to kind of connect and identify with others? And what would it look like in a world if I was just Brian? And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you said that because it's been something I've really been processing a little bit of going, you know, I, yes, I can identify as a gay man and yes, people can figure that out or whatever, but it's like, really, I'm just Brian. And I don't know if I have to put a name on it or a label on it. I, I think the pushback that I see with some of those younger people is it's like, please say it because we need the representation and they don't want to say it, and it's like, are they trying to protect their career? Which we may come back to in a minute. So there's kind of my thought. Well, and Gina, let me ask you a question. So my mom, you know, she was married to my dad for 25 years, then came out and has been with her wife now for almost 10 years. They just got married. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Shout out to mom and bonus mom. So so the, the question kind of I have for you is, you know, if you weren't with your partner, would you like still be with women or potentially be with men or, you know, or, or is just that, be Gina. well, I think, well, too, yeah, for me, again, it was just kind of like for her, cause people ask me all the time, like, oh, is she a lesbian? Has she always been a lesbian? It's like, my mom's just my mom. And she just happened to fall in love with this person. And I've, and it's very much kind of shaped to who I am in my sexuality because it's like, yeah, I do kind of identify, I guess, as a gay man, but I'm also like, if I find the right person, regardless of their sex or their gender expression, gender identity, it's like, I'm, I'm all about who the person is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, if I was not with Paula, I would certainly be on the prowl for another hot lady. <laughs> but that being said, I 
I would fully support anyone, no matter how long they've been in their current relationship and if they move on and they've identified one way for the past 30 years and they want to be with someone else of the opposite gender or what have you, like I would fully support that. Like I don't, I would never shame or anything like that. So I, I do think there's something to be said for, for being with the right person and falling in love with the right person. They just kind of have to have the right parts for some people. <laughs> yeah, right, right, for sure. So just with you kind of back, you know, going a little bit earlier, like when did you come out to family or friends? I've actually lived in Dallas twice. Uh, the first time I lived here was when I dated my first girlfriend, which I kind of roll my eyes a little bit because we were dating for like six months. And, and as you get older, you realize like, oh, six months does not make a relationship. <laughs> like, can you really call that person like a girlfriend or a relationship? There was time that you spent together, you hung out, you were a couple maybe, and you learned something from that hopefully and moved on. But when we actually kind of split up, I went through kind of a little baby G breakdown, so to speak. And I ended up going back home to Houston for a period of time. And I was really, really depressed. And my parents didn't know why. And I wasn't telling them. Big back up. Because before that, I did date boys. I was a boy crazy young lady. And so, you know, my parents had no clue. Well, my aunt actually called my mom and said, this is what's going on with her. And my mom freaked out because my older sister is gay. So, you know, my mom is like, oh, great, another one, yeah. <laughs> you know? What have right. I done? Is it well, me? Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah so. It's not about you. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, FYI, mom, dad, this isn't something you did, you know? Once my mom found out, you know, she kind of freaked out a little bit. And at this time, I was already hanging out with some new friends in Houston. And then I eventually met the person that I'm with now. And we started dating. You know, I was in my 20s, so I was like, okay, well, let me go ahead and get an apartment and, and get out of her way and let's just let, you know, things settle down a little bit. And so when I moved out, well, she basically told me I had to move out. <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> she told me I had to move out, so I moved out. And on the day that I was moving out, my dad called and said, like, hey, your mom doesn't want to see you. We're not going to be there. But, you know, you've got your key. Go in. Get your things. You know, I love you. We'll talk soon. And it was maybe two hours later, I had gotten to the house and I had loaded out my stuff and my friends and our lesbian pickup trucks at the time. And I'm kidding, I never drove a pickup truck. <laughs> um, I don't even think I had any friends that had a pickup truck. I think you had to rent a car or something. But anyway, my dad called and said, hey, your mom and I went and had lunch and we talked. And your mom has decided she's actually going to give you all of the living room furniture. I get emotional. And he said, we're, you know, give me the address to the apartment because we're going to come down and we're going to help you move in. And they took me shopping and stacked my apartment. And it was like a two-week blip. And we were good. So what was that, like, complete 180? Like, <laughs> like what, how were your emotions during that? Yeah, kind of, kind of really happy, really sad at the same time because I didn't know what differentiated me from my older sister who was really quite shunned from the family for some time. So I, I felt bad, but I felt good, but you know. Well, and had your parents reconnected and like amended that relationship with your older sister yet? They have since, yeah. But at that time? I wouldn't say that they mended it at that time. I don't think it was until my mom was passing away that really things kind of like, you know, they kind of made amends and let things settle and, you know, kind of moved on. So, gotcha. yeah. so, so you're like, I, I feel, I'm glad for this happening, but it's still kind of awkward, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, we, we've been talking about this, you know, <laughs> over the last 
several episodes of really exploring where that sense of rejection comes from. Like, I know some of it's generational, I know some of it's religion, but it's just, it, it always just baffles me to, you know, like for me, for example, I'm not any different than I was at 11 mm-hmm. or eight or 16 or 30 or, you know, I mean, yes, obvious differences and such, but I'm still Brian, I'm still me. And this idea in our culture that gay reject, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not like us. You don't fit within our whatever social norms we've created for our own existence. So get out. We've talked about this prior, but I remember, especially from a religious standpoint, because I I was raised very religious. And I remember just going, you know, praying one night. It's like, God, why this? Like of all the things that I could be dealing with, like, why can't I be a heroin addict? I feel like that would be more acceptable. But I mean, just that idea. So it's, it's always baffling to me when parents do have that knee jerk. It's like, this is your kid. So it's like, for you, were you ever in tune with the why? I don't, believe it or not, I just don't analyze things that much so it wasn't a parent in other words yeah like I wasn't I wasn't sitting and thinking about it I mean if I it's I think the answer for me is actually really really simple growing up I was like the star child I was pretty much what a parent would want from a kid or at least I think you know maybe I wasn't smart enough or you know whatever but I, I, I guess I fit, like, the mold of what, like, a good kid yeah. looks like. They're and, like, we did a really good know. job. Yeah. You know? We're not just like, going to throw it all away. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, and she's going to get married and she's going to have kids and whatever. But the reality is at 15, I said I didn't want to get married and I didn't want kids. And I've really never changed my mind about that. So, sorry, Mom, that wasn't going to happen anyway. <laughs> but, you know, I think it was literally there was just that moment where she went, oh my God, wait a second, like her her bubble burst, so to speak, as to who I am and what my future is going to look like. You know, in, in, in therapy, I work with, especially with LGBT clients, one of the things that I, I try to integrate in is, is grief therapy. Because I, I'm aware that a lot of times in our coming out, there's things we have to grieve. There's things that we've given up, whether it was being able to hold, you know, or hold a hand or have the first kiss with my boyfriend at 12 or 13, like all my friends had, I have to grieve that because that's never going to happen. I didn't get to take some guy that I like to homecoming or prom or whatever those milestone events for, you know, cisgender, heterosexual adolescents might be. And so it comes a time where I have to grieve those things. You know, until gay marriage was passed, I had to grieve the idea that I would probably never be married. And Clearly, I'm still not. So, give me a call. Um, but um, no. <laughs> yes, and when I do get married, right. please don't hold it against me. Because right. yeah, right. Yeah. But it's like the grief work for LGBT clients is real important, but also for LGBT parents. And I, when I talk to a lot of, I mean, not LGBT parents, but parents of LGBT kids, I talk to them a lot of times about you have to grieve that wish that you had for your kid. I think this is important for all parents. When you wanted your kid to grow up and be a doctor and they decided that they wanted to be something else. An artist. Right. Yeah. You then then some, yes. sometimes you need to do the grief work to let that go. And and especially I think that's important too if, if it is that idea of your child's going to be married and I'm going to have a certain number of grandchildren. My mom's listening. She'll not be happy. I remember one time I came home, she, she denies this, but it's true. I came home for Christmas and it was, we were all young adults and my sister was married, my brother was married. And so she went out and bought an ornament that said, you know, her and my dad's name. 
my brother and his wife's name, my sister and her husband's name. And then the little last piece, because I guess it was grouped with six or whatever, it said Brian and question mark. <laughs> I remember going, what? But there's grief work that has to happen there. <laughs> That's shady. It, it was shady. Ooh. And I still to this, she says, she's like, we did not do that. And I'm like, you did. But anyway. <laughs> if you only had that iPhone to take a picture right, of it right, then, you'd the be day, like, yeah. see? But it is that idea of, okay, there's some grief work. Life doesn't always work out the way that we plan. And sometimes we have to grieve those things. Now you get to Dallas. You've left oil and gas. You mentioned performing. So what is that? What are you doing? So I actually went back to school and I guess I went to a small acting school here in Dallas. And from there, I just started auditioning. And I went to a little audition up in Frisco, Texas on a very cold January day. Uh, I was so nervous and I was sitting outside. So it was cold and I was nervous and I was just shaking. And I knew I was just going to completely bomb the audition. And I ended up going in and I walked into a room about four or five people and I was like, this is like a whole like panel of people for a little on-host, or on-field host gig out at a ballpark in Frisco for minor league baseball. Well, it was the president of the company at the time. It was the entertainment director. It was the marketing director. It was the sales director. And I was just like, okay, this is serious. Okay, let's do this. And I went through the audition. And when they were looking at my resume, the president of the company saw, because it was an acting resume, right? So it's got like all of my performing, my brand ambassador work. And he was, you know, down at the bottom and he's like, Budweiser girl, go-go dancer. And he's like looking at me, he's giving me shade about it. And he says, is that like a gentleman's club? And I was like, um, no, that's like you're in a regular bar with people dancing and you're really just kind of on a box encouraging other people to get up and dance as well. <laughs> and I was like, not really sure when the last time you went to party was. But uh, anyway, he had me to the point where when I left the audition, I was like, I don't think I want this gig because I just, I'm not that conservative. And if they're really scared of me, that really concerns me. And then maybe I will embarrass myself or embarrass them. And two weeks later, I found out I had the job. And off I went. Let's go back to your go-go dancing days. Um, <laughs> or at least your acting days prior. Hey, it's a skill set within an acting resume, my friend. Was that what you were looking for? Hey, I want to be an on-field host. Or were you looking like, I want to do commercials, or I want to be in film, or I'm going to do stage? You know, because there's so many different kinds of performing. And I know sometimes it's, hey, I'm just going to walk into this audition because I would like to eat. So it's like, but were you pursuing that? Was that something where you're like, oh, no, I want to be a television show host or I want to, re I really love the Frisco Rough Riders. I'm the biggest baseball fan in the world. So I can't wait to break that glass ceiling and just dive into the world of sports. <laughs> no, not at all. None of the above. No, I really, I wanted to perform and it was, whether it was being a host, commercial, film, television, whatever, I was, you know, I was putting myself out there. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, I knew that, you know, at this point, I've been in a relationship for quite some time. I had financial obligations. Although I am a creative, I'm also an individual that has to have full-time work with a steady paycheck, insurance, 401k. So I have this really creative side, but then I'm, I, I'm very right and left-brained. Mm -hmm. So at the time, it was like, let me build my resume. Let me see where this goes. Meanwhile, I'm working six other jobs. And it sounded, it sounded fun. I mean... They did ask me while I was at the audition if I'd ever been to a game, and I said yes. 
Have you ever been to a game at I that time? I had been to one of their games. I was working as a Budweiser model at the time, which was really funny, right? They had these carts set up on the concourse, and you, like, sign up to not drink and drive, and then they call your name at the end of the night, and then you get, like, prize for being the designated driver. Well, we do that for, like, three innings, and my back was to the field the whole time, so I really didn't see much of the game at all, and I was only there for, like, three innings. But I wasn't lying. I did say, oh, yes, I've been to a game. They're so fun, and they're just amazing, and I can't wait to work here <laughs> and represent the Rough Riders. <laughs> so what do you do? Because suddenly, I mean, again, I, I know you. We've, we're friends, so I know that you're not necessarily a sports person. I'm not a sports person, and most people that work with me, even within the sports industry, know that. I refer to it as hashtag sportball. And people kind of either giggle or they know me or they're like, oh, Gina. But yeah, no, I'm not the biggest sports fan. My goal was definitely not driven towards one industry or another at the time. But when I, when I got the gig and I was there on field hosting for four seasons, and then the next thing I know, I get a call saying, would you like to interview for the director's position? And then I went full time and I did that for six years. So I had 10 years worth of being within that industry and I really fell in love with the show I always said oh there's a cute little game happening and there's some like boys on the field and they're running around throwing a ball but like it's all about the show yeah. I was definitely about the show so what do you do on the show I'm like what did this did you do obviously you're not commentating or going through stats or someone else writing that for you no nobody was writing anything for me but I didn't talk about the sports at all <laughs> like I don't want to talk about sports people would not pay me to talk about sports it would be quite a disaster in fact I had a friend of mine that I'd worked with for a while he calls me up and he says hey we're looking for somebody to do a weekly summary for for Cowboys I'd love for you to do it and you know me, like, I'm like, okay, sure, yeah. I'm going to do yeah. this. And I jumped in with both feet. And then every week I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is awful. I'm just going to embarrass myself. And I was like, yeah, no, I just need to know. You know, that's, a, that's definitely when I decided, like, we need to know what we're good at, what we're bad at. What are we really passionate about? What are we not? Like, I don't want to talk about stats and players. I just don't. So what we did was there's all of the entertainment that happens when you go to a football game or a baseball game or a basketball game there's sponsors that have activations that go along with contestants and prizes and mascots and things like that and so that's what we did in baseball you got a whole three if you're really lucky four whole hours of baseball in texas heat happening and there's a lot of innings and there's a lot of breaks and so there's a lot of time to fill with all of those breaks between innings and so every single inning we had something whether it was dancing on the dugouts or doing an on-field contest or mascot skits and things like that so it was yeah. a blast and, and i don't think a lot of people think of it that way you know they kind of think of the hard-nosed sportscaster or the person giving stats or breakdowns or the the pundits per se but what you're doing is just making sure everybody at the game is having a good time that it's engaging all of those things yeah absolutely and and so were you out this whole entire time i was not professionally <laughs> Let's get into that because I think that's really a lot of where I want to focus sometimes because I think, you know, I was a teacher and a coach for 21 years of my career. I did sometimes get a lot of pressure from friends of mine in the community of you need to be out. You just need to be out. Or people I might meet or go out with are like, I don't understand why you can't be out at work. And I'm like, are, are you aware of the political climate in Texas? And, and when I was coaching, I was like, I, 
I don't even know that anybody would discriminate against me specifically. But if the kids found out, you know, eighth graders coming into high school that their coach was gay, would they sign up for that sport? And so, I mean, there were a lot of dynamics there. And again, I, I handled everything professionally and I, I didn't want to cross any lines or boundaries. And I was just, you know, this part of me needs to be put in a box when I'm working. But that's not always easy for us because it's also who we are. And so professionally, I mean, obviously it's a little different in today's world of acting, but there was a time, you know, where several prominent men in Hollywood, they had to have a beard basically to perpetuate the myth. So that, I mean, even if it's like we all know, but hey, Rock Hudson, you need to be with Doris Day because that's what the public needs to see. So, you know, even today in a lot of our industries where they cannot be out, I don't feel like that's not being true to yourself. I think it's survival. So walk me through that. Talk to me about your particular journey and story there. How do you navigate this industry? Was it something that was kind of told to you not to be? Like, where did that come from? And how do you work that out? When I first moved to Dallas, I, I started working as a brand ambassador. I worked at a hair salon. I worked, So I was exposed to a lot of people. And when you work at the hair salon, obviously there's a lot of LGBTQ in that community. So it felt very comfortable. So in that aspect, I would be like, oh, yes, Paula, I'm going to work. And, you know, if you want to swing by, we can grab lunch. And you didn't have to feel like, okay, meet me around the corner and, you know, call me so that I can meet you so that nobody sees you coming in. You know what I mean? But when I was working as a brand ambassador for all of these major brands, you do feel a sense of like, oh, I, I can't let people know who I am because I'm scared they're going to judge me or I'm going to be scared that they're not going to book Gina the lesbian for that job, you know, it'll, it would change that title, which is something we talked about right at the top of the show. You know, I identify as Regina Lynn. And so I didn't want that label to be associated with anything I was doing professionally because I was scared that it would be closing doors. So I hid it for a very long time. And I worked for... 10 years, I guess, really going to work. And I was just a completely different person. And actually, it was longer than that because even before um, baseball, everything I was doing that I mentioned, I still felt the need to hide. And did you feel like you were two different people or living a double life? A lot of us, to a certain point, have, have done that, whether professional settings, religious settings, just school settings. And so it becomes easy. I think, I know for me, it's I just got really good at compartmentalizing different parts of who I was and letting those show like when necessary. But, you know, there is kind of that, I don't know, it's kind of in therapy, I've definitely like dealt with that. But I, I again, just can you speak to, to kind of your experience or how you felt during that time? I mean, there was always a sense of, okay, I'm going to work, put myself in the box, take myself there. But you do eventually feel like you are living a double life. You do feel like two completely different people sometimes. Um, at the same time, for me, it it got to where it was very easy. And because I was so focused on work, that's, that's what I was worried about. Like, I wasn't worried about whether I was going to come out, whether I was going to be a representative for our community, whether I was going to check a box for that company. I, I was not worried about anything. I wasn't worried about being the first female to do anything. I literally just loved my job and was so happy to be there doing it that when I left my house, I was that Gina and she went to work and she kicked ass. And so it got to be where it was very, very easy. The person that it was hardest for was my partner and it was not fair to her. What changes? 
And, you know, like for me, I think one of the things that started to change in my career, well, one of my very good friends who was a, a teaching colleague with for me and, and became a really good friend later, used to call me the worst kept secret in the school district because she goes, everybody knew. And I, I've asked some friends before or, or people I've worked with before, I was like, how did you know? And someone once told me it was your shoes. You have nice shoes and straight men, their shoes are raggedy. And so just your shoes. And I went, what? But I, I, just, <laughs> what? My shoes? That was the last thing I was even thinking about. There comes a moment where you start going, okay, people already knew. For me, anyway, and and so that for me was what kind of started to kind of get me to a place of maybe I can dip my toe in the water. But for you, what changes? I don't know if anybody knew. I don't know if I was the worst kept secret or not. Well, did you ever say I... you were dating anybody or seeing anybody? Oh, I was really good at dodging questions. I was very, very good at my job. I was very busy. I was always going 90 to nothing. I didn't have time to stop and talk to anybody about my personal life. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I was very good at hiding, hiding it or, or that, or people just figured out like she just doesn't talk about her personal life or because they know I work all the time. I didn't have one. When I first met you when we were doing DVTV, mm -hmm. I remember thinking in my head, who is this straight girl that we've pulled onto this show? Is this just a friend of Brad's and he decided she should be on? So, I mean, you know, I, I think there's something to that sense of, People thinking they need to know, trying to figure it out. I'm just con confessing that because I really didn't know. And I think there was a part of me that was like, really? We're doing this Dallas Force segment. And now we're bringing in some straight girl to take over this piece. What? Why are we doing this? I, so I, I apologize <laughs> because that, that was uh, my thought. I have a handful of those kind of stories I could tell you, actually. Um, what changed was that I changed jobs. And when I left that job, I said, I'm not doing this to me and I'm not doing this to us again, mm -hmm. my partner. So when I did get a new job, I was like certain not doing it again to myself. And I was very, very lucky I got another gig on the vendor side of the sports world. And I was working with a gentleman who I actually had known for several years because I also work for the Cowboys and he didn't know. And we had flown to Miami for like my first trip and we're going to like meet with the Dolphins and the Marlins. And I'm like, this is amazing, right? And we're in the Uber headed to one of the teams and he saw my ring and he said, oh, he's like, I don't think I've ever met your man. And I said, well, you've never met my woman. And I was like, there it is. And then I was like waiting for like the car to burst into flames or something <laughs> like tragic to happen or him to like, oh, you're fine. He was like, oh, that's cool. What's her name? And that was it. It was like super easy and I, I mean, I probably have the, the easiest story. I, it's, people probably get angry when I talk about how easy it was for me. And my mom, oh, she was mad for two weeks, you know. Then my job, oh, I changed jobs, got a new job, and an Uber, came out, no big deal, you know. Yeah. It was just really simple. And, and I look back and people go, well, once it was so easy, do you regret not doing it sooner? And I always say no because I learned a lot through all of it. And I look back and part of the reason that I was successful was because I was so focused and so driven. And now I'm just very fortunate that I get to combine all of it. I get to combine my personal life with my, 
my passion for what I do and working with nonprofits. And so. Was there ever a sense in that particular industry that it would be frowned upon? Or was this just a personal thing for you? I mean, kind of like it's sports, you know, it's manly and it's men and you got players. And then Texas, it's Texas. Yeah. And I mean, people would you would occasionally hear people make comments or this or that, you know. And so you think immediately like, oh, I heard someone say something about that, you know, dyke or whatever and you hear that comment from a coworker, and you immediately think oh well <laughs> i know how that person feels better sweep me under the rug again and so you know some of that drove it it's you know you mentioned brad a few minutes ago so i feel like i can tell the story so brad and i actually met working at the ballpark in frisco <laughs> and we were co-hosts <laughs> and that's where we became fast friends and I, shame on me, I immediately knew he was gay. Yes, I judged him. But, it was the shoes. But he was, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, he had stars on his converse. Right. <laughs> no, um, and I, you know, when I met Brad and I was like, oh, this is my new co-host. He's so amazing. And I totally know he's gay. And I want him to know that I am. But nobody else knows. And I'm not out at work. How am I going to do this? And I remember just thinking I didn't want him to feel alone. And I wanted him to know he had like... A friend. He had literal family right there with him. And so I went home and talked to my partner and I was like, how do I tell him without like coming out to everybody? And they were like, just, you know, she just mention it, you know, just kind of like your girlfriend, blah, blah, whatever. And I was like, okay. So we were, you know, at a rehearsal. We're on the field. We're off to the side. We're talking about bits and skits and what have you. And I was like, so what are you doing this weekend? And he kind of like talked about it a little bit. I was like, oh, cool. My girlfriend and I are going to go da 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 da. We wrapped up the conversation and moved on and then it was you know we obviously circled back to it and had a conversation but it was years later that I found out that after that conversation he he kind of sat there and was like thinking wait did she say like girlfriend like like her friend that she goes shopping with or like did she mean something else and so we eventually had a great conversation about it it was our little secret it was kind of fun when I left the ballpark it was 2018 and Brad had asked me to do other gigs with him and I was like babe, you know, I can't do that. Like, I'm not out professionally, so I can't put my face and name on something and it come back, you know. Not to mention, I was like, I'm in a ballpark 14 hours a day. Like, I don't know where I, where I would fit that in anywhere. Like, that was literally all I could do. And my fear of coming out and having doors closed and all of that was really, it, it, it's incredible because I thought the doors were going to close, but I had so many doors open. And it's been just an amazing experience because I went from working at a ballpark hidden as to who I was and what my amazing partner was like and having this great career all by myself and never really like celebrating it in any way and then not celebrating my personal life there not you know celebrating my successes there here and when I left and I was able to start doing anything outside of of baseball because time opened up I work from home now you know so I went to work for DVTV I've joined Black Tie Dinner I've I've I'm just, I'm getting to go speak on behalf of Black Tie Dinner to different companies around Dallas that are obviously, you know, diversity and inclusivity is a big thing now. And so it's, it's been a really incredible experience. There's, there's probably a lot of people that, out there that have had a partner or were the partner that were having to be in the closet professionally. Did you and your partner have arguments or was it just like, babe, you know, I love you. I just, you know, I can't, I can't jeopardize this. Do you mind kind of telling us some of those Maybe not so fun stories. I mean, that's the only thing we fought about was my job. Because one, I was never home. And I always put work first. 
And so, you know, I, I think that there's a balance that you do have to find. I think that you can have a job that you're very passionate about that you do put first on a certain scale, but then also your partner has to come first on another scale, so to speak. And so now I'm trying to, to balance both of those. But yeah, we definitely had a lot of fights about it. We didn't have so many fights about the fact that I wasn't out as much as I just wasn't there. Was she out professionally? Or? Oh yeah, and that's that's if if we did have discussions about it, that was usually it. You know, she's like, you can come to my job, you can come to my Christmas parties, you can, you know, come have lunch at my office. Like it's no big deal. But at the same time, she like she wasn't gonna come to baseball games. She's not a fan of baseball yeah, either. <laughs> it it really just came down to the principle of it of it all. Yeah. So, so now being in the positions you're in, like you talked about, being able to be you know, talking about diversity and inclusivity, representing black tie, doing DVTV as their senior correspondent. I guess my thought is, how does that feel now? It just felt very natural at first. I was like, oh, just totally cool. Like, this is great. And now I'm just really proud. I, I'm proud, not necessarily of myself, but I'm proud of the community that I'm around and involved in because they're the ones that have made this a good experience for me because it's becoming more normal. Now, I, I do always have to circle back and say this. Minor league baseball is actually incredibly inclusive. And if I had come out working there, it would have been totally fine. But looking back, I still didn't want to be, oh, here comes the lesbian director, her name's Gina, because it automatically would always go back to that. Yeah. But all to say that, that the world we're living in, as challenging as it is right now, and even though we're dealing with a whole lot right now and we've got a great big fight ahead of us, people's minds have opened up. People's hearts have opened up. Yeah. And I think it's because people are sharing their stories and people are coming out and we're not hiding in a closet anymore, yeah. which I have to tell you this. So when I went to work at the ballpark and they showed me my office, it was literally a closet that they had turned <laughs> into an office. And they were like, oh, so your, your office is actually the closet at the end of the hall. And I was like, am I on candid camera? Is there like a joke here somewhere that I don't know? But yeah. So my first office was a closet and I was literally in the closet. Well, it's interesting because, you know, when I think about my career when I was in that realm, and, and of course now being in mental health, it's, it's not an issue. And, and, and how different it felt when I was able to say, yeah, hi, welcome, you know, I'm in this place. Or, or when I self-identify in sessions for some of my LGBT clients, it's just, it's like, wow, did I just do that? That's like, did I say that out loud? Because there were so many years where I couldn't. And I think, I, I think of the people who told me, oh, I already knew. Or, you know, again, you're the worst secret around here. We all know. Look at your shoes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think for me, it was like, oh, how it would have been safe here. Like that thought of it, it could have been OK here. Yeah. I could have done that yeah. and everybody would have been fine. And I went through all that trauma and, and had to, you know, felt like I was always looking over my shoulder and choosing my clothes so carefully, you know, to make sure that nobody knew and yet everyone already did and i went oh man if i just didn't have to do that was a lot of work it is a lot of work it it's a lot of anxiety at certain times like i said i got very good at separating the two and i was just that person and it wasn't an issue but 
it was also a lot of work because when a conversation would come up, I would play the pronoun game. And the pronoun game then was, oh, they are in accounting or, you know, we are going to do this with their family or, you know, you play the pronoun game to hide. And now the pronouns are used in a way to identify a whole other category. And I don't want to get deep into pronouns or anything like that. That's not what this podcast is about. But it's exhausting trying to keep up with the they, them when you're using it to to hide. Sure. And, And just in solidarity, I did the same thing. I actually had a former student who I was talking to one time after I had come out, and he had told me he always knew. And and very astute, very aware. I said, how did you know? And he goes, it's your pronouns. Every time you talk about a date, you say they. And for me, it was like, well, I can't say he, I gotta protect, and I don't wanna say she because that's lying. So I automatically defaulted they. Yeah. Oh, they had a great time. Oh, they work here. Oh, they, and that was my, I didn't know it was a tell. But to people who were paying attention, it was a tell. And it's interesting that you bring the whole lying thing up as well, because I one thing about my partner, it, she is not going to lie to you. She will tell you your outfit is terrible. She will tell you you look fat. She's a wonderful person. Don't get me wrong. But she just, she's just brutally honest. And so that was really driven into me being with someone like that, because I'd never met anybody that, that was just literally that honest and held that so closely as a value. And so when I was having conversations with people, I always tried to not lie. And that in and of itself is another way of of kind of like this anxious exhaustion that it can cause because you are having to constantly monitor how or what you're saying so that you're not lying, but that you're not outing yourself. But, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. But, I mean, did you work to present an image? Or, I mean, again, I know you say you're Regina Lynn, But did you ever make conscious decisions to dress a certain way or look a certain way? I mean, Brian happened to mention a little bit ago that he he automatically thought that I was was straight and was wondering why TV. I think it was an attitude. (laughs) Well, it was your shoes. (laughs) That was just me adopting my Dallas personality. (laughs) Too shade. No shade. No. Um. If we go back to me as a kid, I've always been incredibly girly. I mean, I, I'm admittedly a makeup whore. I can, if I walk in, into, you know, at a department store and the makeup counters and all the things, I'm just like, ah, like, it's just, <laughs> I love it. So it's just, I'm just being myself. And it just so happens that I've got long hair and always have. And I put makeup on at 12 and now I won't leave the house without it. And I love shoes and I love jewelry. And so that was just me being me. There was never any adjustment there needed. Let's talk representation because I know at times in our community, Dallas has a reputation of not maybe fully serving the lesbian population or at least females in general. And this does tend to be a little bit of, let's say a haven for cis white gay men. So how do you navigate that? Have you have you seen that in the community? Is that something that you know, you've advocated for, or what's your just thoughts and opinions? I don't mean like to lay an in indictment on Dallas, but just, you know, this is your experience. It's, it's not my experience, so I can't speak to it. I think because I look the way I do, it's easier for me to blend in with the gay men because they see me, one, they don't know if I'm gay or straight, 
And it usually typically is, oh, girl, I like your shoes. And I'm like, thanks. And, you know, and then Paula walks up behind me and they go, oh, and then they put it all together. Um, for, for the record, I don't think I have particularly impressive shoes. And oh I, God, I right. feel like I need to and say that for everyone who thinks that I think I have good shoes. I don't. So I'm very confused. You're just looking at all the rhinestones on mine right now uh, and comparing. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> This is a tough question to answer because I could really get myself in trouble and I start to put on my filter as I answer, but I'll try to be as honest as I can here. Yes, it the les, it, it's very GBT. You're right. If you look at all of the, let's just even say nonprofits that are out there doing a lot of work, it's focused on youth, it's focused on trans, it's focused on AIDS and men and their health, but you don't really see a lot out there that's helping lesbians specifically now if we look back where how was where when has it been so hard for lesbians that we need a movement for us you know if you if you think of it that way it's like well we 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 haven't stood out in in ways that we're saying oh my gosh we need help with this or we need help with that or people are killing us or, at least or, not or maybe a lot of and the feminist movement filled in that gap in some ways yes somewhat yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's another that's another podcast okay. <laughs> yeah but yeah, I, I I am trying through my work with Black Tie Dinner to really open that that little L a little bit more. I think that if we could get more lesbians involved, then I think that gap would help to be closed as well. So why aren't they? I don't know. Well, I am trying he, to figure that out. He, Women, where are you? Yeah, again, that is going to be my question. Is like, Where is the lesbian community in Dallas? They're in kind of their smaller groups. They're not, you know, again, there's there's only Sue Ellen's. It's not like there are all these lesbian bars like there are gay bars. You know, most women, do they want to be out at a loud bar, you know, late at night? Or they just want to be at home hanging out? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it part of it is the way just gay man culture compared to lesbian culture if we want to keep putting them in the buckets but you know i think that the bar lesbians don't spend money like gay men do let's you know that i think is one thing so like men are going to continue to go out and drink and spend money at the bars and tip the bartenders where you know women don't typically you know spend as much money at bars i just don't think it's a thing i don't know why there's so few lesbian bars other than that they just don't have the support system within the community and and i just want to comment here just because i know we're kind of riffing a little bit but we need each other and i mean obviously we saw that in the aids crisis you know who were the people who really stepped up and helped a lot of gay men through that crisis, it was a lot of the lesbian community. And so, you know, I think that's an important thing to always reiterate. We may have differences in our sexuality, but we need each other. And it's important. And, and it's not why I, I want to see more uh, women involved in our, in our nonprofits and in some of the different events and things that, that we do. I mean, I can look at my own life and think just whether it was through allyship or, or other lesbians, how vital those people have been in my journey and that I wouldn't be where I am today without their support. Yeah. And I do want to say as well, you know, there are a ton of women that have been incredibly supportive and very involved with a lot of the organizations, not just within DFW, but if you look, you know, to HRC and tech, you know, Texas, if we get bigger and bigger, there's a lot of really strong women that have been very vocal about 
um, the community and the fight and equal rights. And so I don't want to take it away from them. And I'm also not saying that, you know, being in the bars is the only thing to do as a gay person either. Sure. So I know we're almost at time and I, I, I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the work of Black Tie Dinner and your role as a junior co-chair. I know we're too early in the season to give some things away, but just talk about, you know, one, was that something that you volunteered with you know, this is where I want to be. This is the position I have in mind. Did it fall into your lap? And and what has that experience been like for you? You can also explain to our listeners who may not know, what is Black Tie Dinner? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with what Black Tie Dinner is. So Black Tie Dinner has been around since 1982. They are the largest LGBTQ fundraiser in the nation. They hold the largest dinner once a year here in Dallas, and it has been at the Sheraton for the past couple years, and we'll be at the Sheraton again this year on Saturday, September 24th. So uh, table captains are open now, so you can go to blacktie.org to learn more about that. We support up to 20 North Texas nonprofits each year that are doing LGBTQ work within the community, and we partner with HRC, our national beneficiary. That's an amazing organization. Clearly, we are doing a lot of work to get the dinner going and to be as fabulous as possible and to raise as many much funds as possible because that money is going to go back to our beneficiaries who are really out there doing all of the hard work. If I look back even five years ago, there, not in my wildest dreams would I be sitting here going, yes, I'm junior co-chair of Black Tie Dinner. Like, it, it blows my mind still. I'm like, who? okay, how did I get here? Like, who's playing a prank again? But that's another organization that Brad um, had asked me to be a partner for several years. And I was like, again, honey, I'm not out. Like, how am I going to represent the community at Black Tie Dinner when I'm not even out professionally? So that was another door that opened once I left my previous job and moved on and took some time to kind of find some balance, give some love to my partner and be like, okay, we're good now. Um, I, I reached out to Brad and said, I think it's time. I'd love to get involved with Black Tie Dinner. How do I do that? And I started volunteering that year and then immediately applied and then became a board member in 2019. And I served on the Community Relations Committee. And then this little thing called COVID came along and canceled that year's dinner. So I didn't even get to experience the dinner the first year. And then I was asked to chair that committee last year and got to go to my first dinner as, you know, as a Black Tie Dinner board member in 2021. And then lo and behold, they said, so what do you think about being a co-chair? <laughs> I said, uh, sure, sounds great. And here I am. So another amazing door that has opened, another incredible opportunity, a group of the most amazing people you will ever meet in your life. Yeah, we get fancy, we're cute, we go to a dinner, we, we like all the fun bougie things, but we're out there working hard as well and um, amazing kindness and amazing hearts for, from you know everybody. I'm really lucky. Regina, thank you so much for being on our show today. I know there's a lot in that story. I appreciate the vulnerability. I appreciate you being able to tell some of those stories. I hope we didn't push you into too many areas that you didn't want to go. I'm sure you could see it on my face when you would ask a question and I would kind of lean back a little bit and go, oh, God, this is like, yeah, okay. That's my job. They call me the GoPro. <laughs> the <laughs> so, GoPro. Now, we appreciate you being on the show today. It's been amazing to hear some more of your story and get to know you a little bit more. Um, we're looking forward to Black Tie Dinner this year, and uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much for being here. Or Thank you much for having me. That's what I meant to say. Sometimes you're not the host. No. <laughs> <laughs> right? All those years, it's just been yeah, great. Yeah. Right? No kidding. No. Thank you so much for being here. It's been 
I said it again. Yeah, it's okay. I get it. <laughs> I've loved Thanks for having here. me. Thanks for there having me. Okay. So, now, thank you so much, and, and we appreciate the time. It was truly such a delight. So it's such a pleasure to, to be hanging out with and telling stories. You know, I had a friend of mine reach out here a while back and, and listening to the podcast, and, and a lot of the people who've been guests have been personal friends or people in the community that are leading organizations that I've known over the years. And he called, he goes, wow, you really know everybody. And I'm like, do I? I, I, I guess I do. But it's, <laughs> it's so great to bring in someone that I've had encounters with, worked with, consider as a friend, but I don't know these stories. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of the background of what brought them there. It's You've said this multiple times on the show. It's not like it's usual conversation. It's not like I'm walking up to people in social <laughs> situations and say, tell me about your family trauma yeah. <laughs> and uh, how did you come out and how did it impact you? So I resonated so much with this episode just on that professional piece, mm-hmm. that idea of I, I know that struggle working as a teacher and, and unfortunately in our political climate, especially in Florida, I know teachers are facing this exact thing. Yeah. You can't put a picture up. You can't wear rainbows. You can't say gay. And it's like there's su- that's such a, a, a detrimental part and a damaging part to say this is who I am, but I can't be there authentically. Yeah. So many times, and I, I feel like I've told this story in, in some capacity before, but I felt like I was hiding so much and people around me started to question my integrity because they knew I was hiding something. Mm-hmm. And you're like, would you just leave us alone and let us be us and not make it a big deal and not try to turn it sexual all the time? It's just... I am Brian. I am mm-hmm. Brian here in this in this capacity, and that's all you need to know. Yeah. Trust me as a professional. Trust me as an individual that I'm not bringing in anything about my sexuality any more than you are. Right. And that's what I resonated so much with in this this episode when she started talking about it. I went, I know that. I know that <laughs> feeling. I know what it meant to compartmentalize. Yeah. And again, I think I think so many of us in the community do know what it's like to have to turn that side of you off and to have to, you know, conform to societal standards. And I'm just, again, I, I am so thankful she brought up that kind of hope and that, you know, she is so grateful that things are getting better, that people can be their authentic self from the very beginning. So, you know, I just, I hope that what we do is just part of that movement. So that's going to do it for today's episode of Falling Out. Please remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, on our website. It's out there. If you're not familiar with it, it's at Falling Out LGBTQ Pod on Instagram, Falling LGBTQ on Twitter, and FallingOutLGBTQ.com is our website. Follow us, subscribe. We want to keep telling stories. We want you to keep listening. That's going to do it for us today. Remember, you can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is Falling Out.